The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order. Let's gavel in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service. Here's Sam Doran. Welcome to another Friday on the State House Takeout. Uh, when Federal Education Secretary Betsy DeVos announced new Title IX guidelines earlier this year governing sexual assault response on college campuses, advocates said the new rules were silent on some important topics, and that teed up a renewed push for state-level lawmaking to plug the gap in Massachusetts. Now, we already know the basic priorities for Beacon Hill this fall, the general budget, conference committee reports, COVID-19 response. An overhanging question has been, will lawmakers try to add other priorities to that agenda? Speaker DeLeo said this week that he hopes to see a bill passed this year addressing campus sexual violence. And he was talking to the Every Voice Coalition, a group of students and recent alumni who advocate for an end to sexual violence on campuses. Joining us on the takeout today are the coalition's co-chairs, Nora Gallo and John Gabrielli, and Representative Lori Ehrlich of Marblehead. She's been working with the coalition on this issue for several years. And to speak with them, we have our own news service reporter, Katie Lannon. Hi, folks. Hi there. So glad to be here. Hello, very grateful to be here too. Yeah, and you know, I think this is my my second Zoom of the week now with uh, with Nora and John and Representative Ehrlich. So I, I'd love it just to to start off if um, you know I, some folks who are are listening might not be familiar with the Every Voice Coalition. Um, we've we've certainly seen you you at hearings and around the state house halls, but. Would uh, John or Nora, would you like to, to tell, tell us a little bit about what the coalition is about? Absolutely. Um, the coalition was founded four years ago now out of about seven or eight of us students sitting together in our dorm rooms, uh, many of us survivors or allies, and talking about how we were sick and tired of seeing the cycle of violence continue, and we wanted to do more to help our friends and to help future generations of students avoid having to face these same challenges. Um, we ended up working with Senator Brownsberger and Representative Ehrlich to file legislation that would create a statewide sexual assault campus climate survey, hence our name, uh, the Every Voice Coalition, because we believe that every student's voice deserved to be heard. When we started this work in 2014, the vast majority of campuses reported zero cases of rape or sexual assault each year. And we knew as students that that wasn't accurate and it was erasing many people's lived experience. So we wanted to push for a safe way for students to share their experiences that would allow us to combat sexual assault and reduce the prevalence as well as support and protect survivors. Great, and Representative Ehrlich, how did this issue come on your radar? Um, well, I mean, we can we can go way back in time when I was in college. Uh, in I graduated Lehigh University in 1985, and the year after I graduated, there was um, a young woman named Jean Cleary who was raped and killed in her dorm room, and her dorm room happened to be on the same hallway as my freshman dorm. So um, I watched the process after that and her parents ended up passing what's now known and still enforces the Cleary Act, 
um, in her honor. Um, so the issue has sort of always been on my radar. Um, but then uh, in uh, January of 2014, Obama and Biden started delving into this issue to create guidance for universities and to make sure that students were protected. So that's when the issue popped onto my radar. And I started doing some research, spoke to some attorneys, and then um, found out that um, the every or John Gabrielli um, was gathering people up to work on this issue. So I joined with um, Senator Brownsberger and the early um, formation of the Every Voice Coalition to, we started with a climate survey bill, which is um, the, the, the premise for that is that information is power. And um, when, when, as a consumer, when you're looking at colleges and universities, it's glossy brochures, it's um, US News and World Reports and rankings, but you don't get really the voice of the students, the people who are living this experience. So the idea of a climate survey is to find out um, what the climate is on campus. It has nothing to do with global warming. <laughs> um, it's really just about, do, do students feel safe? Um, is the administration doing a good job in keeping people safe? Um, are services available? Are there hotspots on campus that um, the administration should know about? So it, it really is information is power, and you don't have that information unless you anonymously ask the students. So that was the whole premise of the original filing, um, and that's how we kicked off uh, this whole um, process. Sure, and this is this is really an interesting time to be talking about. I mean, it's kind of the motto of 2020, right? This is an interesting time. Um, you could also say unprecedented. I think I've heard that one or two places before. Um, but it's a it's an unusual time to be talking about issues affecting college students in particular because this is an unusual time on college campuses. You know, we have many many courses that are remote. We have just a, a a lack of kind of those social spaces that are usually there. I, I'm I'm curious about what what taking these steps and and addressing these issues would would mean at at this particular time when so much of the college experience isn't the, the way it normally is. And whoever wants to to jump in there, feel free. I would I'd love to take that, especially because my senior year, the semester which I graduated 2020, um, I transitioned from being on campus every day to being in remote classes. And although the prevalence for knowing the true information about sexual violence on college campuses is always necessary and always will be in an unprecedented time like COVID-19, where students are in small pods on campuses, where students are at home, remote, you know, struggling with, you know, the aftermath of an assault that may have occurred a year prior, to be able to understand the impact, understand the statistics and rates to which it happens on campuses, to be able to have your voice heard, even when you're not on campus, or when your presence on campus is limited, is really important. So I think, although it's always going to be important, it is very important now. I think it's the collision of these new regulations, which we have uh, been watching for years now. In 2017, Every Voice was one of a dozen uh, student and survivor-led organizations that requested a meeting with Secretary DeVos when she announced her intent to roll back these Obama guidelines. That meeting was declined, and she instead met with 
three men's rights activist groups, including a group that's labeled as a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center, uh, and made the decision to roll back those guidelines. That's when we said it had to be, you know, state action that would address this problem. We've been concerned about the impact of these of these devastating new uh, this rollback for years, but never we could have imagined that it would take place in the midst of a, of a pandemic like this. And it's well known that students who are isolated, students who are unfamiliar with their surroundings and separated from their support systems are at highest risk of experiencing sexual violence and of being unable to access resources to address that. And as we, as students, all students are in this unprecedented time, as you said, Katie, um, they are at unprecedented risk for sexual violence, which is why it's so important for our state to take action. Great, and we had, so uh, as we mentioned, I think, earlier in this conversation that Every Voice Coalition held a, a virtual advocacy day earlier this week. Um, Speaker DeLeo gave some remarks there and he, he singled out a, a campus violence prevention bill as something he wants to see the, the House take up earlier this year. And, you know, usually if the Speaker wants, or later this year, and usually if the Speaker wants the House to take something up, we'll, we'll see the, the House take it up. That's the advantage of being Speaker, I guess. And he did point in, um, in those comments to the two things we just talked about, those new federal regulations and the general COVID-19 situation as reasons that it's urgent to act. Um, Representative Ehrlich, as someone who's been, you know, filing this climate survey bill and has been a, an outspoken voice for this in the House, what did, uh, what did you make of hearing the, the speaker say that? Well, um, first of all, I was um, thrilled that he um, really reaffirmed his commitment to the bill and was specific to getting it done this session. Um, we're now in sort of an extended formal session, so they're really, you know, really time is of the essence. Um, and there's no reason to wait on this. Every minute that we wait, where we don't have the benefit of the information that the survey will provide, plus the added, um, the, the, the bill as it stands right now is a combination of actually several bills um, that all deal with sexual violence on college campuses. So we, it, it's more urgent than ever with these new regulations from the federal government, which are now in force, um, that really put students at risk on campus. It's making our campuses less safe. It's giving victims so much less access to the services that will help them get through a difficult time. Um, that she, she, when I say she, I mean Betsy DeVos, has really turned the whole adjudicatory process um, on its heels. Um, you know, where, where um, victims now can be directly cross-examined by their rapists, um, their alleged rapists. Um, and it, it's, it, it has, it, it's putting people in danger. So I have stood at press conferences with um, college presidents who feel that these regulations are terrible. I've stood with, um, you know, many victim rights organizations, um, Bark and MOVA and Know Your Nine and so many wonderful organizations in Boston that are really doing the hard work of protecting victims. Um, but also, you know, the, 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 the college presidents themselves want, want students to be safe on campus and want students to feel safe on campus. So I'm, the speaker um, has always been, um, you know, a champion in this area. I know he deeply cares. Uh, a year and a half ago, he attended the Every Voice 
um, conference and I, I sat in the room while he listened to the stories. Um, I remember he went on to speak after being in that room listening to stories and his voice was shaking. I mean, he was really, um, he really felt it, um, felt the, um, the pain that the students were in. So I, I know he feels it. I know he cares. And, you know, like you said, the advantage of being speaker is, you know, he, he, he can make it happen. So I, I could not be more excited and more thrilled and more grateful that, that he does care. Now, we've seen, I should note, too, that um, Massachusetts is part of a, a lawsuit against the regulations. Um, Attorney General Maura Healey joined with several of her counterparts from other states on that. And I guess it's not unusual for Massachusetts over these past few years to be at odds with federal policy um, coming out of the Trump administration. And I'm curious that if this this specific bill that's been discussed, if it were to pass, would would there be a conflict with Massachusetts? You know, would there be a risk of litigation or some other issue there? No, and, and I'm so glad you asked that, Katie, because I do think that's you know a common um, you know misconception or concern that people have. Um, the 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 one silver lining in the DeVos regulations is that they are a floor, not a ceiling, for what states can do. In fact, it's explicitly written into the regulations that states are able to enact policies addressing sexual violence that. Um, strengthen protections for reporting or responding parties so long as they do not directly conflict with the guidelines. Um, the guidelines, unfortunately, from our perspective, are, or I should say regulations now, address only the disciplinary process uh, as well as standards of evidence for the accused. They narrow the definition of sexual assault um, and, and raise the bar for conviction. But what they do not do, they don't address prevention. They don't address healing. They don't address support services for survivors, and they don't address data collection and transparency. And so those are exactly those gaps that Chris talked about that are now left to, to states to fill in. And we've had uh, been able to have lawyers from here in Massachusetts, uh, from the Golson and Stores, um, as well as folks in the legislature, review the legislation very carefully to ensure that there are no conflicts. Uh, and other states like New Hampshire just passed similar measures in response to the guidelines uh, in, in collaboration with Every Voice advocates in that state. Um, so we're we hopeful that Massachusetts, where all this work began on our campuses here, uh, will follow suit and keep our campuses safe. And, you know, Representative Ehrlich mentioned the, the event that Every Voice held last year when you were able to, to gather a group in person and the, the stories that were shared at that event. And I remember, gosh, last spring, there was a, a massive turnout, really, at the, the hearing on these campus uh, sexual violence bills. And, you know, Nora and John, I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, we talked a little bit about how college is different right now. How, how do you advocate right now in a, in a time of social distance when the state house is closed to the public and, you know, most conversations take place exactly like this one in a series of little windows in a video chat? Yeah, thank you so much for asking that. It's it definitely been new terrain to just discover and move through. I was actually able to be there last spring, um, in spring of 2019, to testify on behalf of this legislation. That was the first time that ever I ever stood in front of um, a group of people in positions of power to share my story, to advocate for this legislation. That, for me, was a really powerful moment. I remember my legs were shaking, and I was very nervous. But to know that the impact of a single story can change the course of the way that a piece of legislation is looked at is 
vital. And then also to have many other students and survivors be able to stand together to raise their voice is very powerful. And to also be able to have an opportunity now to move that into a virtual space like we did on Tuesday, to be able to organize that, to be able to be joined by so many legislators, to be joined by so many advocates and students and survivors and the speaker, um, to be able to speak our truths to the people who have the ability to be able to change the narrative of what it looks like to be a student on campus. It's definitely tricky because it's, you know, you're in your own little space and, you know, you're looking at a Zoom screen. But I think there was something that the speaker said um, on Tuesday that has been sitting with me, which was that, you know, right now we're in a very disruptive climate with COVID-19, you know, navigating what does it look like to be a student on campus? What does it look like um, to be a school trying to figure out how am I going to have students have access to classes and be on campus, be off campus? Um, so that's a very disruptive moment. But he also said for individuals, sexual violence can be disruptive at any time. For him to be there with us, to hear our stories, to be able to vocalize yet again his commitment to passing this legislation and to being able to have a space where all survivors and students are heard, it's definitely tricky navigating how to get into those spaces given, you know, Zoom is the new norm, um, but we're very grateful and it is very powerful. Great. And so what's uh, what's next from the, the advocacy standpoint now that there's um, there's talk about getting this bill maybe done in the next few months? We've been uh, working hard for the last six years, and I think it's it's hard to believe that, you know, we may be on the precipice of, of passage um, for myself and my co-founders. We've all graduated. Now a whole second generation of students has graduated. Nora just graduated this May. And, and I think it's been it's been painful and frustrating at times to see so many of our friends uh, go through school without these basic protections in place. You know, nobody thinks that we should have we shouldn't have better data on sexual violence. Nobody thinks that survivors should have a hard time getting access to medical care and counseling. Nobody thinks that survivors should be forced to live in the same dorm as the person who assaulted them. But unfortunately, we've experienced these things. We've seen these things happen to our friends, and uh, we want to be part of breaking that cycle. So to, to feel that we are now uh, potentially on the on the verge after six years of advocacy of taking action is incredibly empowering for us as, as students and young alumni to see the difference that student advocacy has made. Um, and we're committed to, to doing everything we possibly can um, to see these bills across the finish line. So we, we will be following up to, to thank every single legislator that attended. Um, and there were, were well over a dozen uh, that attended the, the, the summit on Tuesday, um, we'll be reaching out to every legislator that wasn't there to remind them um, that students, you know, face this issue and, and in an ongoing way um, in both the House and the Senate. Th we're, we're very grateful for uh, a majority of both chambers already co-sponsored uh, this legislation. So legislators do see the importance of this, um, but just reminding them that, you know, now more than ever in the midst of this pandemic, uh, action is called for and, and Massachusetts has an opportunity to lead uh, on this issue. Great, yeah, and that's a that's a good point too. You know, if we if we see this bill pass the Senate or pass the House, we'll of course also need to see action in the Senate. So there's there's quite a few more steps to go. We have seen um, different versions of campus violence bills get through um, both branches last session, but not be able to uh, to to reach agreement between the two branches. I, I don't know, Representative Ehrlich, do you think this is something that there can maybe be a, a consensus on this session? 
I I do where there's a will, there's a way. And the the will has clearly been established at one point or another. Um, the climate survey piece anyhow has had a unanimous vote in both chambers. So there does seem to be um, an understanding of um, not only the willingness to do this, but the responsibility that we have as state legislators to um, students from all over the world who come to Massachusetts to go to school. And we owe it to them to do everything we can to make sure that they're safe while they're on you know, our campuses here. So um, I hear that over and over again from my colleagues and um, um, my colleague, Tricia Farley-Bouvier, who is the rep who filed um, the, the other major piece of this bill. Um, she and I working on this together, we both had daughters on college campuses. So it became very personal for us um, to make sure that they're safe. But once you feel it for your own kids, you realize that every child should be safe. Every every girl, every boy, everyone on a college campus should at least um, have uh, feel safe and actually be safe. So I think that the commitment is there where um, you know the speaker's in favor, the Senate has taken taken up these bills one way or another. Um, you know, over the course of the few years, uh, and I, I'm I'm very hopeful and um, reasonably certain, given the speaker's assurances, um, that something um, will get done this year. And then, you know, and then the hard work begins after that. Um, at least on the survey piece, we have to actually construct the surveys, and there's a whole process laid out in this bill of you know, a coalition that has to form and we have to get expertise and we have to find out some campuses are already doing surveys. Um, some campuses, they survey you know, the, the people who work in the cafeteria, they survey everybody on, on campus and others don't. So there's a lot of variability. Um, so <clears throat> once we get it passed, then the, the study and the construction of the survey begins. And the adjudicatory process has to, um, you know, that will require training and, you know, that, that there's work to do um, in the implementation phase. So that part will be um, exciting and I'm excited to see this through. And we'd be Great. remiss if, I just wanted to say, we'd be remiss, of course, if we didn't acknowledge our champions in the Senate as well. Um, we mentioned Senator Brownsburg already, but Senator Moore um, has also been fighting as chair of higher education and as one of the, of the bill sponsors for years on this issue. Um, Senator, a number of senators were in attendance uh, at, the, at the summit, including Senator Comerford um, and Senator Lesser, and many others have have championed this issue uh, in the past. It's been it's been you know amazing to see legislators and leaders from both parties meet with students, talk to students, acknowledge the importance of this issue. Now, uh, what we want to see is action. I think you know they 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 call sexual violence a silent epidemic. But students and survivors have spoken out and made it clear what they need. And now the question is, uh, how will our leaders respond to put those uh, protections in place at this critical moment? Yes, and just to follow up on that too, John, um, I am a student who the protections that were are in this legislation would have changed the course of my college career. I started advocating this legislation when I was a junior in college and I ended up graduating without this legislation in place. My life in college, the way that I navigated college, my mental health, my stability, and my future career um, would have been very different if I had received the healing, support, transparency that this legislation provides. Just like Representative Ehrlich said, having two daughters graduate without this legislation in place 
there are generations of students that need this in the future. I needed this. I didn't get it. We need the next generation of students and survivors to have this protection, to have the support, to know the transparency so that they know that their schools are being held accountable and are taking action to prevent it. Yeah, thank, thank you so much for, for sharing that and for your insights. And, you know, I'm sure the the three of you will all be hearing from me again as we at the news service continue to, to follow this issue throughout the legislative process and whatever else of many things come after that. Um, but in the meantime, I'd like to thank you for your time and for, for sitting down with us today. And I will turn it back over to you, Sam. Uh, well, thank you, Katie. And uh, before we let our guests go today, we'll do what what has become an occasional practice here on The Takeout and uh, canvas our guests to see what they found interesting or impactful from the news over the last week. Uh, we can start with uh, Rep Ehrlich, and I'm, I'm looking at my Zoom screen here, then down to Nora and John. Uh, if, uh, if anything jumped out at you from the news this week. Well, as, as a um, self-described news junkie, um, there's so much that's jumping out at me. Um, what, you know, on the topic du jour that we're speaking about college campuses, um, I think it's so interesting seeing students returning to campus and how each campus is responding so differently to testing protocols, to, um, you know, what's in place, either they're all virtual, they're partially virtual. I, I still do have a child on a Boston campus. Um, so I'm watching um, with a little concern <laughs> at the numbers. Um, so I think, um, you know, that these are institutions um, and, and the, the kids are packed together um, just by virtue of how they live in dorms. So how we respond with such a um, contagious pandemic going on right now, I think is um, just interesting. And, you know, our, our, uh, we've done a pretty good job in Massachusetts of keeping our numbers low and um, the focus on schools right now, I think is just super interesting. Nora? Um, I would have to say that, honestly, the headline in the State House News um, this past week on Tuesday was probably my favorite. I know that's a little bit of fluff in our own feathers, but to to have that much impact and to have that much, um, this feeling of being heard um, is really, really powerful. And yeah. <laughs> All right, John, and and you, you can't pick Tuesday's news service story because Nora already had that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot, that was my favorite too. But uh, no, I, I'll, uh, I'll stay on on the same topic as, as Rep. Illich around higher ed. I read a great um, piece in the Washington Post yesterday about uh, the impact of COVID and uh, concerns around low-income and first-generation students uh, dropping out of college this fall in very concerning numbers. I think, you know, our, our higher education system in the United States already has such huge issues with equity for students of color, for first-generation students, um, and COVID is really accentuating that in a very troubling way. I think we we potentially, the, the article emphasized that we, we face, you know, a potentially a lost generation of um, a black and Hispanic and, and low-income students who will, will not be able to pursue their degrees. Um, and we need to be really responsive to that and uh, you know, address those concerns so that every student can, can pursue their education equitably. Thanks. And uh, Katie, did you, uh, did you have any uh, news story to share? <laughs> you warned them, but you're putting me on the spot. I see how it is. 
Um, <laughs> well, I actually, I got my flu shot the other day. So as we sit here on Thursday afternoon, I am looking forward to um, reading Colin Young's forthcoming coverage of Governor Baker's visit to CBS and Rosslyn now where he got his own flu shot. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. We so, were just watching, that on the, just watching that on the TV here. Uh, all right. Well, thanks very much uh, to Rep Ehrlich, uh, Nora Gallo, and John Gabrielli, and Katie Lannon. Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. Thanks. You, you too, too, Sam. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.